We're calling the vision theme, the spiritual emphasis for Trinity in 2024, glory on the move. And last week we defined this blanket term glory used almost 600 times throughout scripture from the first page to the last page. We defined it as, um, as this encompassing word for God's goodness, his beauty, his power, his perfection, and his majesty. It literally means the heaviness of God's wonderful presence in the world, in our lives, and through us. And, and we kind of traced and tracked this thread that, that showed up with all these stitches through the redemption narrative of Scripture where God revealed his glory and, and he displayed his glory and then he uh, formed us to reflect his glory. We were separated from God's glory to save us when we rebelled in sin because we couldn't handle the wonder of God's presence. And then we just see God's activity, that he's looking for a way to be in the midst of his people, to be near his people, and then to be in his people. The incarnation happens, Jesus comes near and opens the way for us. Glory was on the loose, that veil ripped in two, and, it's, and his glory is here to visit every heart. Now, our job is to radiate the glory of God. Last week, we talked a little bit about experiencing God's glory as individuals, what we were created for, what our souls crave. This week, we're going to talk about reflecting God's glory bigger, brighter, closer, and clearer in our world. Um, this is a, a great quote by C.S. Lewis. It says, a man can no more diminish God's glory by refusing to worship him then a lunatic can block out the sun by scribbling darkness on the walls of his cell. We know God is shining and there's nothing you can do, there's nothing I can do, there's nothing anyone can do to stop or diminish or limit the glory of God. Now we can choose whether or not we're gonna partner and align ourselves and submit to God's glory and become people who live out our purpose and our calling to Glorify God. The Westminster Catechism says it so beautifully. The chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. To magnify God, reflect him from our souls. We can choose whether or not we're gonna be a part of that thing or we can just keep right in darkness all over a jail cell in our whole lives. God has created us on purpose, for a purpose, and that is to profess his goodness and his wonder and his perfection. So today we're gonna to talk about how we can do that in our world um, in a clear way, bringing this image of God close to people, shining big and shining bright. Uh, we wanna do these two things in 2024. We want to experience his glory. And, and, and when I say experience, we want to recreate that upper room intent and desire where we just want to wait on God, just be patient with him, spend time with him each day, make him our number one priority, carve out time and space um, to say, God, show me your glory. I want more of you. And, and then we want to reflect his glory. The idea of reflecting is, uh, is to help those living outside of God's glory to see who he is. It's the act of bouncing radiation God is radiating who he is off the mirror of our souls into this world. And that's what we're gonna dive into today. You see that I have a mirror up here that's gonna help me in just a few minutes. Um, those of you that are just like looking eye contact with somebody else in the room because of this mirror, sorry about that. Um, but I, I wanna get to this mirror in just a few minutes. Uh, 
1 Corinthians 13, 12, you, you've probably heard this scripture in a wedding. You've heard a 1 Corinthians 13 love chapter reading. And, and it's important for us to catch something Paul says. He says, for right now, we see in a mirror dimly. If you use the King James, it says a glass darkly. And he's talking about our understanding of God. He said, right now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Right now, we know in part, but then we shall fully know. We shall know fully, even as we have been fully known. Paul is saying this present understanding and expression of the image of God is nothing like the perfect understanding and expression that will come in heaven that is waiting for us, that we will have. We, we live in a moment of full engagement. The fullness of the glory of God has begun in our hearts. It has not been completed, but if you're a person of faith and you've trusted Jesus and you've stepped into Christ, he has begun his fullness in you. It's not that there's something you don't have access to yet, but he's begun it and it's developing and someday it will be completed. I think oftentimes when we think about this limited uh, place we live in where it's already begun, but it hasn't yet been uh, totally fulfilled, we can get a little bit overwhelmed by the burdens and obstacles, the struggles of life. The sinful nature can just feel insurmountable, like tidal wave after tidal wave after tidal wave of temptation. Culture, culture can sometimes feel like, the, like being tossed out in the deepest part of the ocean with turbulent seas, and you don't feel like you're a good enough spiritual swimmer to survive. It can feel like you're treading water sometimes living in this sin-saturated world. Even the problems of culture. There's some things that I think people can take the understanding and attitude towards that just says, let's just wait it out and wait for Jesus to return. Because this, this stuff is, is so deeply twisted and it's so systemic that some things we don't even want to touch. Just, I don't even worry about it. Just wait till Jesus comes and sets everything right. But that's not what he's called us to. He's called us not to wait it out, but work it out. Not to wait for it, but to, not only to wait for it, but to work for it. And he wants to restore that image in us, in all that we do, in all that we set our minds and hands upon. And so we're not just waiting it out. We are excited for this glorious appearing of him who sets all things right. We know Jesus is coming soon. We can't wait. You know that word in scripture? This is, we're jumping off today. You know that word in scripture that talks about Jesus's return? It's the Greek word parousia. Do you know what that word means? It means presence. That glorious appearing of the fullness of the presence of God. That glorious presence, right? The heaviness of his wonderful presence is coming fully in completion, but it's already begun in our hearts. And so he wants to work in us and through us as he fulfills his coming again. Now, um, when I'm overseeing bath time in our household, uh, sometimes this window in our bathroom gets fogged up. It gets a little steamy in there and hot water and splashing around. Most of the water ends up on the floor and, um, and, and it just gets fogged up. And I like to write little doodles on the bathroom uh, window. Now, uh, I, I'm not a great doodler. I'm not a great artist, but I'll, I'll draw little houses and flowers and different things, birds. I can do that. Um, but I always write to my kids, I love you. Draw a big heart. I 
love you. And I'm not always there for bath time. And so in times when I'm not around, the bathroom gets fogged up, the, the uh, window gets fogged up, and that message comes back. They see what I've written to them, and they see that message. And I just want to remind you today that Jesus says, I give you my spirit. You're a believer. He gives you his spirit. And he says he's going to restore your eternal soul in that instant. Your behaviors, your attitudes, your mind, your actions, your lifestyle, your relationships, they might not all be modified and transformed to reflect Christ in an instant, but your eternal soul has been restored. He started that in you. He's given you his Holy Spirit. The rest of the stuff, he is working into his image. So even when you're just feeling like, man, that image of God, I don't feel like I'm reflecting it. That image of God, I I feel like my, my reflection of God is a fogged up glass. Well, when that glass is fogged up, don't forget what he has written on you. Don't forget that he's already written that message. I love you. You're mine. He's already written his name on you. And that's a reminder to you as you struggle through day by day, more uh, just step by step, baby steps into the image of Christ. He's already marked you and you can see it in the fog. Uh, N.T. Wright talks about this. And he, he uh, talks about the book of Romans and how it frames the purpose of humanity. A lot of times we can read through the Old Testament and then read through the reaction and fulfillment of the Old Covenant in Christ and how it can be framed often for us is that we were made for rule following, not rule breaking. The chief end of man isn't the image of God. The chief end of man is rule following. And and rule following is part of it. But we honor God and live in God's ways out of love for him. That's where our, our obedience comes from. But what we have to understand is even bigger than that is we are here to show the world who Jesus is, to show his love and his beauty and his goodness and his majesty and work towards perfection. And so honoring him in in our moral deeds and our ethical character is part of it. But we need to understand that that there's a bigger picture here. And if you're just um, assessing who you are and your identity in Christ based on rule following or rule breaking, you're missing that God has created you to reflect his love as an image bearer. Even believers many times, they think that more than anything, God is angry with them. More than anything, they're just a rule breaker frustrating God every day. And I'm not telling you that God uh, doesn't disapprove of unholiness. He certainly does. He doesn't affirm in us any sinful activity, but we evaluate our whole relationship with God based on how we did, uh, what our scorecard was that day, what our metrics were in our righteous character, in our righteous living. That, that God is just, it, it really reshapes our view of God. That fundamentally, he doesn't like me and he's disappointed in me. He's almost like an abusive parent. He's always annoyed. He's short-tempered. He's ready to slam a door or punch a hole in the universe because of how I'm acting and how I'm behaving. And, and we think that the gospel is just some loophole we've found, that God doesn't really wanna be with us. He doesn't want us to approach him. He has buyer's remorse. He doesn't, he's leaving a one-star review on the church, but he can't send it back. That's how sometimes we think of God. 
But that's not the gospel. And we can reframe it thinking we've found this loophole in Jesus that God can't deny us now because we come to him in Christ. But no, it's not that, that we've somehow slipped in. It's not that God so hated the world that he killed his one and only son. God so loved the world. He so loves you that he gave his son. He sent his son for you. You are in the center of God's plan. He, he doesn't, he, he really wants to glorify himself, not just in creation, not just near you and in front of you on the last day. He wants to glorify himself in you today and through you, brightly and strongly. And we're just gonna break it down a little bit this morning. Um, the scripture we're gonna look at is a place where Scripture interprets Scripture. The New Testament helps us understand the Old Testament and completes an Old Testament passage in light of Jesus Christ to whom all Scripture points. So we read it Christologically. It's 2 Corinthians 3, and we're gonna dip our toe into 2 Corinthians 4. In verse seven, it says, now if the ministry that brought death, which was engraved in letters on stone, came with glory so that the Israelites could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of its glory, transitory though it was, will not the ministry of the Spirit be even more glorious? If the ministry that brought condemnation was glorious, how much more glorious is the ministry that brings righteousness? For what was glorious has no glory now in comparison with the surpassing glory, and if what was transitory or temporary came with glory, how much greater is the glory of that which lasts? This scripture tells us a couple things. There's a big contrast between the old covenant and the law where God made a people uh, for himself to get in the midst of and the new covenant, which allows the glory of God to come inside of our lives. It shows that the old covenant was fading. The new covenant is permanent and eternal. That the old covenant brought vanishing glory as Moses's face was lit up in the presence of God, but then faded and faded. Now, when he came out, of the tent of meeting, when he came down from Mount Sinai, his face shone so brightly, we just read it, that the Israelites could not even look at him without breaking their gaze. It's like when you stare at the sun, yeah? Now, hopefully you're not just going outside and staring at the sun. But if you do, you're not gonna be able to stare at it forever or your corneas are just gonna burn up, right? Your irises are gonna be messed up. And so um, this is the experience that the Israelites had when they looked at the fading glory on the face of Moses. Now, the old covenant, the law, it brought condemnation. It brought an awareness and a realization of how we fall short of the glory of God, right? Of how, how all of us are insufficient to live perfectly and fulfill God's law perfectly. And so when we, uh, when we see Jesus come and he is the total fulfillment of the law, through him in this beautiful exchange, we receive righteousness in the new covenant. The old covenant brought death. The new covenant brings life. So when we see this contrast that Paul is laying out for us, we're starting to understand what was happening on Moses' face. I think for thousands of years, the Israelites kind of wondered, what did that mean? What was that all about? How Moses' face shone. But now that Jesus has come, we see that there is a surpassing, permanent, eternal glory that God wants to place, not in a fading way on one person, but in a permanent way in every single person who will choose him. We continue on. 
Therefore, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. Read that again. Therefore, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. What is Paul saying in verse 12? He's saying that he and the other apostles are out there all in, 100%. They're, they're stepping out of comfort. They're stepping into extreme confidence to proclaim the glory of Jesus Christ to a, a Roman empire, to Gentile cultures, people who are living in pagan ways, people who are disgracing and rebelling against God every day. They are out there advocating for the Lord, lifting Jesus high with so much boldness. Why? Why? Because there's, no, there's nothing further to come. There's no gospel 2.0 that we're waiting on an update for. The Holy Spirit will not depart the church so that we can download a newer, trendier, holier spirit. We have it all right now. So he's saying we, we preach with so much confidence and boldness because we have such a hope. What a pleasure and a privilege it is to live in 2023 when the Holy Spirit is resting on his church and Pentecost is available to us and spiritual gifts are available to us and submission and service is right at our fingertips and there's no barriers to us. What a privilege it is. Um, He's saying that everything we need till the very end, till we see Jesus face to face has been provided, has been revealed. He was battling the Gnostics. The Gnostics uh, were preaching this, this worldview that is very prevalent today, very prevalent today. It was saying there is a, a more perfect state you can be in, a more correct and right state you can live in if you have some sort of special privilege that is limited and not available to everyone. They were saying that they had this experience with the Lord that gave them a special portion of godly wisdom. They were super spiritual, uh, favorite children of God, I guess you could say, that gave them, uh, uh, they had cornered the market on the image of God. Sure, you're a Christian, but I'm really a Christian because I've had this experience. God's brought me into, uh, he's brought me into some sort of circumstance that you do not have access to that I do. And Paul is battling these folks. He's saying, no, that type of um, preferential spirituality, that is spitting in the face of the gospel. That is not the spirit that God has given us. He's given us everything we need. That's why we can all, every single one of us, can be bold in our representation of the gospel, in our faith in the gospel, in our trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. He's saying, we preach Jesus, we've seen holiness in him, we've seen the image of God, we don't need any other commendations or certificates or ribbons or trophies. Let's go on, verse 13. We are not like Moses, who would put a veil over his face to prevent the Israelites from seeing the end of what was passing away. Their minds were made dull, for to this day the same veil remains when the old covenant is read. It has not been removed because only in Christ is it taken away. Praise Jesus. In Christ, it is taken away. Even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil covers their hearts. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Let's jump to 2 Corinthians 4 and just understand this veil a little deeper. The God of this age has blinded, somebody say blinded, the minds of unbelievers so they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ who is the image of God. So in chapter three, a veil is covering the hearts of unbelievers, specifically 
Jewish people that knew the Old Covenant, had memorized the Torah, but they still couldn't see Jesus. They still couldn't see the image of God. They were blinded, blinded. And then he's, he's also talking about the, the whole world, unbelievers not only have their minds, their, their hearts been blinded, their minds have been blinded, he says, by the God of this age. So we're gonna get into this further in just a second. Verse 17, it says, now the Lord is the spirit and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Wherever we bring the spirit of God becomes holy ground. Where the spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. People get outside that veil. They interact with the glory of God wherever the Holy Spirit goes. You have the Holy Spirit wherever you touch, wherever you give God your faith, you can have church. From the conference room to the locker room, from, um, from your, uh, your dining room table, wherever you gather with your family, wherever you set foot, from your uh, social media feed to your classrooms, it says in verse 18, we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory and being transformed into his image with ever increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the spirit. 4.6 says, uh, says it this way, for God who says, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts, to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. So Paul is framing our existence, our identity as new creation people. He's saying that every single Christian holds an apostolic function and calling of pushing back the darkness, the confusion, the lies of this age, the, the gospel of sin that is out there, the gospel of idolatry that's out there, every single believer, corporately, we hold an apostolic function of shining God's light, which he has placed in our hearts. He has given us this uh, ability to experience, behold him, and then reflect his glory. A lot of intricacies in the scriptures we just read. Um, there's a, a great Greek word, agazo, that is displays. We read it in chapter four, verse four. The gospel shines forth or displays God's glory. We reflect God's glory. The gospel is shining it out. And then, and then that word blinded, this is so interesting. That word blinded that we said, where the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers, is the word uh, to flao, and it actually means to blow smoke in the eyes. It comes from tuflos, which means fog, fog. Um, believers with spiritual vision, we have this limited view, just the beginning of God's glory, but unbelievers, they see that image of God's glory through a very foggy and veiled view. We're unveiled and it's foggy. It's, it's a little bit dim for us. The more we behold Jesus, the more we understand and express his glory. But unbelievers, not only is that revelation fog, they're also veiled to it. There's something that is separating their hearts and minds. Let's talk about how Jesus brings people close to his glory and then brings them into a place of reception. Number one, nails are stronger than veils. Jesus is poking holes and tearing veils into this invisible, separating uh, confusion 
that exists between the hearts and minds of unbelieving people and his love for them. He is on the move. He is working to disrupt their unbelief. No blindfold is too thick. His glory is on the loose. The gospel is shining. Gospel's shining. The enemy is blinding. So how does the enemy respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ? He is blinding. So how does the Holy Spirit respond to what the enemy is doing? He sends us. We reflect, the gospel's already shining. We reflect in a focused way the light of who Jesus is. Not only is, is the light of his glory being scattered across creation, but now in focused ways, he's bringing our witness of the image of God right to people's doorstep, right to people's dinner's table, dinner table, right to people's social feeds. He's bringing the image of God in a focused way to people's hearts. That's how God is responding to the blinding of the enemy. Jesus is shining in us. I like how, um, I like that word contemplate. It's really, really beautiful. Um, It means two things. It means to behold and reflect. Behold and reflect. Literally, the word means um, appearing against a mirror. And what that reveals to us is that there is some sort of reflective nature of our hearts. Our souls are a reflective service. If, surface, if I behold it, I will reflect it. That's what the Bible teaches me about my soul. You can say, I can take in whatever I want. I can eat whatever junk food I want through my senses. Your perception will be affected. Your perception is how you see the world, understand it, make sense of it. What you take in, what your senses take in will shape your perceptions. What we behold, we will reflect. Um, and, and praise God for that because that means, like David Platt says, when we become like what we behold, we can be like Moses who would go in the presence of God, be with God, and his face would shine and radiate because he was beholding God's glory. There is a single turning event where we turn our hearts to God and we step into faith. And then there's a continual turning and beholding event. Just like Moses went up on the mountain. He he had his burning bush moment. Then he had his Mount Sinai moment, but he continually went into the tent of meeting and removed the veil and interacted with God. I know that God's work continues in my life and the glory will become clearer and clearer and more into focus. And it won't fade, but it will increasingly, increasingly grow until I finally acquire even a glorious body in the presence of God forever, like that of the risen Christ. On the day of his glorious appearing, his presence will be visible to everyone and not a reflection anymore. We're looking forward to that. But right now, he has begun his fullness in us. Here's how Jesus is shining in us. At creation, he said, let there be light in the world. At the new creation moment, when you're born again, he says, let there be light in you. That's why we call it the new creation. Colossians 1.27 says, to them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. So the gospel shines, the enemy blinds, and then God chooses to make known, to poke holes, to tear veils through us and our witness, the church, the hope of glory. 
which is Jesus Christ. This is our testimony and greatest witnessing tool that God wants to make himself known in me. He has chosen to glorify himself in my faith. 1 Peter 2.9 says it this way, you are a chosen race, royal priesthood, holy nation, a people for his own possession that you may, why are we all those things? Why? That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. He is making himself known. How? By his church proclaiming his excellencies everywhere we go. Philippians 2 says it this way. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. Doesn't it all connect? What is glory? It's the heaviness of God's wonderful presence. What, uh, what's one big characteristics of stars? Not only do they shine, but they are dense. They are heavy. There's a gravitational pull to stars. When he places the heaviness of his glory in our souls, there is something gravitational about God who is making himself known in you that people are craving, people are longing for. This isn't a hopeful statement by by your pastor. This is the promise of the word of God that he is making himself known in his church, which is you, you, as you proclaim his excellencies. There's something dense, heavy, and gravitational to the glory of God in you. When I behold Jesus I am refracting many broad rays of light into a focused concentration of rays converging on a focal point. What am I talking about? You've used a magnifying glass before. A magnifying glass. Magnifying glass is, uh, it doesn't always work. It depends how you use it because a few inches away from a magnifying glass is a focal point. It's a curved glass and it's refocusing light waves to converge and make something appear bigger than it is. But if you, if you have that magnifying glass and you hold it further away than three inches from the thing you're focusing it on, what, what will happen? It will invert the image. If you've used a magnifying glass, you know what I'm talking about. Everything's backwards until you bring it into the right focal place. What does that tell me? me we have to bring our witness close, close to God and to others so that they can see a clear image, not a distorted or inverted image of who he is. We have to behold him, stay close to him for our ongoing witness. We must each prioritize God's presence. If our individual altars are burning in united pursuit, then our gatherings, Trinity, catch this, then our gatherings grow increasingly radical and our gatherings grow increasingly satisfying. Our receptivity turns into reflectivity. When I'm saying, God, I wanna drink in every word. I wanna be with you today. I wanna behold you and I wanna stay close. It turns into a clearer and amplified, a magnified image of who Jesus is in our lives. And when we do this individually, something happens when we come together corporately. Every week's a new experiment. Every Sunday's a new experiment. How are you gonna live between now and next weekend when we gather to worship together? How are you gonna live? 
Are you gonna pursue him? Are you gonna drink him in? Are you gonna come ready to glorify God and lift him high? Are you gonna run from him? All we next Sunday's worship experience is gonna be affected by how we live this week. Let's behold him and let's reflect him. So first we need to understand nails are stronger than veils and God is using his church to pierce the veil, to break through and to shine his light in a focused way. Secondly, he wants to shine bigger and brighter through his church. Jesus in the center magnifies his glory. H.B. Charles says it this way. I love this quote. If you write something down today, maybe not something I say, write this down. For God's glory, let me be a channel, not a terminal, a river, not a reservoir, a public pipeline, not only a personal faucet. We are asking God to turn us into a mirror that reflects brightly and boldly, amplifies the magnitude of the light waves that hit other people. Now, light does not reflect off surfaces very well that are impure. Dirty glass does not give a great reflection. If you're trying to reflect something off a dirty, foggy mirror, it's gonna, all that dirt's gonna diffuse the light and people are not gonna see a strong reflection. In Paul's day, mirrors were not made out of uh, glass like this, like they are today. They were made out of polished metal, polished metal. Um, silver had the, the most reflectivity, uh, has the most reflectivity, then steel and aluminum and, and copper were commonly used. To amplify light, we don't wanna darken the glass, but we want a clean uh, surface. There is a phrase, a concept that is popular in our culture today called black mirror, black mirror. And, and this refers to the idea of a reflection of our reality that is dark and twisted. That is similar to our existence, but there's some twilight zone nature to it that is darker and more twisted than the world we live in. There is a, a popular show that I don't recommend. There's a popular show out there where they explore these twilight zone type ideas. We don't wanna give people an image and a reflection of who God is that is like a black mirror version of the image of God. that is dark and twisted. We don't want impurities, unholiness, unrighteousness, um, rebellious activity to be all over our lives when we're saying we profess and proclaim Jesus. So we need to clean that mirror. And also, we need it to be uncluttered. We need to burn off that earthly clutter. When somebody looks in your life, but all they see are obstacles to the image of God in you, all they see is obstacles to your witness, everything else that's taken your prioritization and taken your passion and taken your heart besides your witness of Jesus, your mirror is cluttered. There's post-it notes all over it. People can't see what you're actually trying to reflect. We need an uncluttered and we need a clean uh, reflection of Christ. So as you're using temporary things to connect people with the light, don't let them become obstacles. Let them become things that amplify the light. Um, if they can't see uh, around your blank, then we're just adding veils to that image, adding veils to people who are already disoriented. Organizing my life around Jesus, with Jesus in the center, intensifies that radiant bounce of heaven that I wanna bring to people. And I, I'm just so thankful for those of you 
who, uh, like we talked about in our serve team huddle this morning, are doing everything, whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, doing everything for the glory of God. And as God blesses you and as he uses you and you go to work and you're an athlete and you're, God's called you to, to the calling of education and academics, everything you do isn't just about what happened to you. It's about your worship to God. How you play basketball is about what you believe about God. And it's a platform for you to share your testimony, the true thing you wanna reflect. What you do when you show up at work, how you achieve there is, is just about doing the best of your ability to reflect who God is in you. Show people his greatness. Show people his creativity. Show people that he takes things seriously. Show people how much God cares. And then when you get that moment, when, when how you've served becomes a platform for you to speak, give him glory and give him praise. Um, you know, one way to amplify the intensity of light reflection is by focusing rays with a parabolic mirror. Parabolic mirror, we talked about this a little bit back in November when we talked about the Bell Rock Lighthouse and how lighthouses shine out light in a focused way. But a parabolic mirror takes um, these, these light rays and they, instead of bouncing them everywhere with a reflection, they will curve the mirrors and reflective surfaces so light only leaves one, in one area and they kind of focus almost like a laser beam. They focus the light rays into something much more intense. Um, a number of devices do this to concentrate not only light waves, but sound and radio waves. Satellite dishes use this idea, telescopes, even car headlights use parabolic, uh, our parabolic dishes. This was the common way to start fires in Paul's day, using a parabolic mirror, a curved dish, taking the reflection of the sun's light to start uh, a fire. They called these discs that they would make scaphia. And um, any, any Olympic fans here today? Any Olympic, like you love watching the Olympics? I'm not talking about the Winter Olympics. I'm talking about the real Olympics. I'm about the Summer Olympics. <laughs> now, all the Olympics are good. Um, I, am, I am excited for Paris this July, Paris 2024, um, and I cannot wait for it, especially after we got embarrassed in the Winter Olympics by Norway. Um, congratulations, Norway. <laughs> but, but listen... Again, doesn't really count. We are a summer Olympics country. <laughs> well, you may know this, that before the Olympics begin, starting in Olympia, Greece, there is a torch relay where an Olympic torch is lit, an official Olympic torch, and then that's carried around country to country. Different athletes or famous people will carry it. And then it'll finally arrive in the city that the Olympics are going to be in. And actually, this is just from a few years ago. The last time the Olympic torch was lit, they still get in some like cultural historical clothing and they light the Olympic torch the same way they would have lit it way back in the day using a parabolic dish. So you see it's this curved metal and in the middle there's a torch with some paper on top and it gets so intense. The heat from the light gets so intense when you focus it, it can get up to 5,400 degrees with some of the parabolic dishes they're making today. It's pretty crazy. Um, they bounce off all sides and collect in one blazing hot point. This is a hot take, um, but the Paris 2024 torch, 
I don't like it. It doesn't look cool. It looks like a kazoo from outer space. I don't know if you've seen it yet, but it's not a torch. Um, this, is, uh, this is the idea of how God reflects the witness, the image of, of God, his glory, through our church and through our lives. He does it in focused ways. When we organize our lives around Jesus, we become like a parabolic mirror. Our whole, there's not rays scattering every which way because our, our life's just flat and everything bounces off us. No, we are organizing our whole life around Jesus. Jesus in the center, everything's about him so that we can magnify our witness and intensify it into one blazing hot display. There was a uh, scientific test that was done um, and it, there was a light bulb on one side of a keyhole and on the other side of a keyhole in a door was this sensor. And this sensor was trying to collect the light to get enough energy to turn on. It was like a little light panel. And um, what the, the scientist was having an issue with was not enough light rays were getting focused through the keyhole. So he added a flat mirror behind it and it, it kind of shows here that the, uh, the blue Arrows are the reflection of light that is not being used. And um, when the, the light would shine off of the mirror towards the keyhole, there was a little surface of that mirror that became useful to intensify the light going through that keyhole. But then when he created a parabolic mirror that surrounded that light bulb and focused all those exiting rays straight towards the keyhole, it powered that sensor enough to turn it on. I hope this image is a good illustration for you today. See how Jesus wants to shine from your life. The mirror needed extra amplification. And how did that get achieved when we organize our life around Jesus? It's that phrase we read earlier, ever increasing glory. Ever increasing glory. He caused the light of Jesus Christ to shine from our hearts with ever increasing glory. Ever-increasing glory means the fog will be progressively clearing, that we will become more and more an embodied example of the cruciform life. The image of God is seen when you're vulnerable, when you're opposed, when you're living your life for God in this broken world. It's not always seen when everything's going your way and perfect, but the glory of God is seen. This is what 2 Corinthians 4, 7 through 9 says. We have this treasure in jars of clay, to show this all-surpassing power is from God, not from us. So we are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. So when people see us go through things, this glory within us starts to be exposed more and more because it's this paradoxical thing happening. Yes, we're going through perplexing things. We go through uh, uh, pressing things. We're struck down, but then they see us, that we're not in despair, we're not destroyed, and we are not abandoned. So to have this bigger, brighter reflection of who God is in the world, we need to burn away impurities, we need to burn off earthly clutter, and we need to be Jesus-centered. Clean, curved, and uncluttered. That's how I want my glass to be. That's how I want my life to be. Lastly today, we want to burn in 2024 a reflection of God through Trinity that is closer and clearer than it's ever been before. We clear condensation off the glass. 
with confrontation. When people have an extra blurry, extra distorted vision because of the, the lies of the enemy in the confusion of our culture, we need to confront those lies with the truth. Let me, let me tell you what I mean. Um, we are unsuppressing the truth that God's glory is coming, is coming to every single soul. His glory is on the move and it's coming to your life. One way or another, God's glory is coming to your life. We unsuppress that truth when we bring confrontation uh, in graceful ways. People may see your simple life and then see Jesus and, and say, I didn't know Jesus was coming. I didn't know all this glory was coming when I saw you. We wanna bring a clear, a close and clear confrontational truth that Jesus is coming and he is coming soon to each person's heart. This might be the uncomfortable part of the sermon today. When people see my life, I want them to understand you cannot escape the glory of God. He is coming and he is coming and he is gonna talk to you and he is gonna look to you. If you can't, if you can't escape God's glorious love for you, then I wanna make it so that you cannot escape my presentation of God's love for you. If God is coming in an unescapable way, I wanna live my life before you in an unavoidable, uh, uh, unconfusable way that you can just know beyond a shadow of doubt what's coming because of the way I lived that image of God out in front of you. You got a little marker up here that's gonna help me out today, I hope. Sometimes the illustrations don't work great, but that makes them even more memorable. You're gonna see this mirror in the lobby on our vision wall this year. And when you see it, I want you to remember that God's calling you to shine bigger, brighter, closer, and clearer. And so this is what I'm writing on this mirror. The glory in the mirror is closer than it appears. I want my life to give people a warning and to give people a promise and to give people a blessing. And I want it to be uh, just like your side view mirror of your car says the object in the mirror is closer than it appears. They might see me and they might not be impressed. They might see my simple life and they, they don't really understand this glorious, heavy, wonderful presence of God is coming for them and wants to live in them. And I just want to give a simple witness that says, hey, my life might not look perfect. I might not look exactly like Jesus, but even in my fogginess, even in my failures, my imperfections, my inconsistencies, I gotta let you know that God is coming and God is perfect, even when I'm not. And here's the thing, when you're honest, when you have a clear witness, even your failures point to Jesus. Even your, your brokenness points to Jesus because you're being honest about who he is. And you can say that, the glory in the mirror is closer than it appears. And so this year we're defrosting foggy glass. In your car, the defroster doesn't just blow all over the car, it blows right on the windshield. It blows right at the lie. It blows right at the condensation, right at the blurriness. That's where that, that uh, defroster blows. So we need to bring clarity where there is confusion. Uh, because wherever, 
Wherever we lack clarity, we do have confusion. And whenever we have confusion, we have compromise. And so we need to blow it right at the the unclear things. So what are we going to confront this year in our groups, in our weekend worship experiences, in our worship services? What are we going to confront this year in our pulpit? We're going to confront idolatry first and foremost. And here, here's what I mean. There's people out there who have exempted themselves from the glory of God. The, the Bible teaches us we were made to glorify him. And there's people who have said, my glory is enough. My career is enough. My comfort's enough. My house is enough. My vacations are enough. My life outside of God is enough. It satisfies me. I don't need the glory of God because I have the glory of me. And that is idolatry. And so we need to confront people and let them know, no, there's something you're missing. If you just look into Jesus, you would be, uh, there would be a revelation in your soul that God has something more for you. When you say you can live on your own and you're comfortable in the kingdom of me because I'm the king in the kingdom of me, we want to let them know there's more for you. That core part of who you are has been hijacked. And if you would just look to the king, look to the glory of God, you would realize you were made to worship him. This is how it's said in Romans 1.21 that if we don't glorify God, then our hearts become dark and our minds become worthless. Vision of God's glory, it really lives outside your comfort zone. And if, if your glory exists in your comfort, God's glory really exists outside your comfort zone. I have more content than I have time today, but I just wanna remind you of a story in scripture where blind Bartimaeus is led by Jesus away from the crowd, outside the city, and he goes through a very humbling experience where Jesus restores his sight. He gives him vision. He gives him vision. And, And it happened outside the city. If you're a blind person, the familiar is important. You need to know how to walk where you need to walk, how to get to where you need to get to. Jesus leads him outside into the unfamiliar so that he could give him a vision and give him a miracle. God will not drag you into his vision. He will lead you, but he won't drag you. God will not lead you into your moment of ministry, your moment of glory movement on this earth. Glory's on the move. God wants to move that glory through you, but he won't drag you. He will lead you. And there's a lot to be said about revival where God just shows up in his heaviness, in his wonderfully oppressive uh, divine presence that rests so heavy on our souls and and just brings us right into the sweet spot of who we were created to be. And there's a lot to say about revival, but here's one thing I know. It's that God shows up and does something where he is wanted. And God is wanted at Trinity. Do you want to behold him? Do you wanna see him more this year? Because he shows up where he's wanted and we need to confront that in other people. They will make it about the do's and don'ts. They have a veil over their heart. Just like when the old covenant was read to the Jews, they didn't understand the fulfillment of the law in the glory of who Jesus was. And there may be people that point right to that rule-breaking, rule-following moment. They, there may be people that talk to you um, just about uh, all the, the system around Jesus that they don't understand that might be keeping them from God and we make it all about God's glory. God has more for you. You don't have to live like this. Something is missing in your life and you're only gonna find it when you have that, uh, that uh, moment where you acknowledge that God is worthy 
He's worthy of your praise. Give him the worship. We're going to confront idolatry, and we also need to confront excuses. There are those that will justify their separation from God. You may know this term, deconstruction. People who once saw, once believed, but have deconstructed their faith because of something that has happened to them, because of how a person of God hurt them. I don't need to worship him anymore. Sure, he's due glory. Sure, he's worthy of it, but I don't have to. I have a hall pass on that. I don't need to pray or serve or obey because I got ripped off by a relationship. I got hurt by a hypocrite. I got passed over for leadership. I got misunderstood. I got judged and lied to. I got X, Y, Z'd. I got this, that, and the thirded. Uh, so heaven won't hear my voice anymore. Heaven doesn't get my gifts anymore. And, and You know, I actually don't have a problem with deconstruction when somebody zooms out and asks questions about why they believe what they believe so that they can go into a process of fixing and healing because uh, really that's reconstruction. But I have a problem with destruction. And oftentimes people call the destruction in the shipwrecking of their faith, they call that deconstruction. And that's not what it is. People making excuses to be separated from God. They have no vision of their healing. They're not deconstructing to reconstruct so that they can heal. We all need to do that sometimes. We all need to step back sometimes, get some healing, praise God. We need to refix our eyes on Jesus sometimes. That's not bad. Ask those questions, you know, interrogate your doubts. This is a great place to do that. God's not afraid of your doubts and questions. Hmm. Some people think that by dodging participation, they're, they're living on the edge of the church. They're living on the edge of faith, separated from God, and they think that's okay. They're justifying it. They have a hall pass because they've been hurt. They think they're dodging participation, but they're really dodging glory. They're dodging the glory of God. God wants to give us a miracle that we've been praying for. He wants to give us a vision of his glory to behold, but we have to be humble enough to receive it. Just like Bartimaeus, we have to be humble enough to receive the miracle and carry the miracle. Can we handle the humility? If you're in the room today and you look at where you're at with the Lord, and you make it all about everyone else, how other people have fallen short of God's glory, so now you're separated from God's glory. Their glass was foggy. Okay, their glass was foggy. What about you? What about your heart? All of us could say a lot of good and valid things about our experiences and our traumas and our hurts at the hands of other sheep. Sheep bite sometimes. And there are forums for that, especially when you're going through a healing process. Those forums are worthwhile. And those, you know, those experiences are valid. I just want to say this the right way. I don't want to diminish what you've gone through. But I just need to tell you that we are not here. We're not here to get sidetracked tearing down the church of yesterday, tearing down the church across the street. 
We are here to build the church of tomorrow. We are here to reflect who Jesus is in 2024. And if that means you need to get serious about healing and getting some counseling, do it. What are you waiting for? Because God is waiting for you. But we rarely, sometimes when it's Christmas, but we rarely close the doors for Celebrate Recovery on Monday nights here at Trinity. Take the step, take the step, lean in every Monday night. And so that's what we're gonna do here. We are grateful for those that have gone before us. We thank God for the faith of every believer who has gone before us. Guess what? None of them were perfect. Guess what? Their glass was foggy. Even the the brightest reflection of Jesus, their glass was foggy. And we're grateful for all the great cloud of witnesses in our lives and around our church has invested in us. We thank God for that. And we want the great work to continue. There is new covenant glory coming to confront everyone sidetracked in idolatry and excuses. And this is our moment for glory movement. Glory drips into the hearts of the people in our lives through a pinhole. Jesus pokes holes in their veil. We wanna focus that light, front row experience to God's glory, that it would just start to leak through and they don't even realize it's rising until they're drowning in the goodness of God and drowning in the glory of God. Isaiah 60 says it so beautifully, arise and shine, your light has come. The glory of the Lord rises upon you. Then you will look and be radiant. Your heart will throb and swell with joy. No veil is too thick for God. He's poking the holes, we're shining the light. Everywhere you go, you bring the glory of God. I'm gonna close with this thought. You remember in Snow White, there was the magic mirror. They say, mirror, mirror on the wall. Who's the fairest of them all? Our church, you, you are mirror, mirror off the wall. You are mirror, mirror traveling across this earth, through Baltimore County, through Baltimore City, telling people who the fairest of them all is, telling people who the most perfect, most wonderful, most beautiful, most majestic, the most excellent, the most glorious of them all truly is. That's who we are at Trinity. We're mirror, mirror off the wall, 2024, glory on the move. We're experiencing, beholding, and reflecting and radiating that glory of Jesus Christ. Would you stand with me? As we go into a worship moment, our prayer team is gonna come forward. They're here to pray over you today, pray over your needs, pray over your transformation in what God's doing in you. You might just need to come do some spiritual business and some battle so that you can be a clearer, uncluttered, curved reflection, moving your life around Jesus. I wanna share maybe the silliest and least biblical thought of the day with you. You're probably thinking, oh, that Olympic stuff was pretty ridiculous, but. Um, there are creatures that God has made whose biology shines. And um, one of those creatures that continues to baffle scientists, even in 2024, are fireflies. The most common uh, American fireflies, the Big Dipper firefly. Those are the ones we have in Maryland. And um, it's just the coolest thing. They shine their light for lots of reasons, but at dusk, they shine their light because they're communicating a mating call. The males are in the air, the females are on the ground, 
and they're communicating back and forth. And all, the, the only factor in choosing a mate for these fireflies is the type of light that the other firefly shines. That's all they're analyzing. That's all they're looking at in these other fireflies. And if they like what they see, then they'll shine theirs back and then they'll get together. I think it's really, that's something really interesting that all we would look at as the church would be the reflection of Jesus in one another. That all we would look at in each other is how we can encourage each other on to good deeds, how we can encourage each other to glorify the Lord more, bigger, brighter, closer, and clearer. That those of you that are going in 2024, you're in a season of dating, you're in a season of looking, you're in a season of new relationships, uh, new opportunities, that you would be looking for the glory of God and other people, opportunities and platforms for you to shine the glory of God in this world. That would be your, your sole focus. And this is just so interesting. Big, Big Dipper fireflies shine their light every six to 10 seconds. And you know what they do when they shine their light? They move, they don't shine their light stationary. They move in a J pattern. I heard that, that was a whole sermon to me. That was all about Jesus. <laughs> and you might say, all right, we're really like creating, you know, some allegory here, but I, I just want our church, when people look at our lives, they see us on the move, we're always on the move and we're moving in a J pattern. We're moving in a way that points people to Jesus, points people to heaven, points people to their purpose, points people to their future. So whenever you see some fireflies this year, let that be a reminder to you as well. Would you pray with me? God, I give you a request this morning for our church. I just ask that you would let us behold you, God. Show us your glory. Let us, God, see you in ways this year that we never understood before. Let us see you and experience you in power, God, that we didn't even know if we believed in Jesus, but your Holy Spirit would come upon us, God, and we would just sense you and we would say, God, let your will be done in me. If it's you, I want it. If it's not you, I don't want it. But Holy Spirit, show up in my life. And God, as I give you an extra minute this week, as I give you an extra moment this week and I carve out new time, as I give you a new discipline, spiritual discipline, show up in it, God. As I open up a journal and I start to add that to my Bible reading, God, speak to me and give me things to write. Lord, as I look into your word in a new way, God, jump off the page to me. Let me behold your glory. And God, let our church become a parabolic mirror this year that magnifies your glory and shoots it right into the souls of the people you've given us to live among. God, give every single one of us witnessing opportunities, reflection opportunities, Lord, platforms we've been praying for for years. Give us the humility to walk out a clear vision of who you are, God, to walk with a limp, oh, Lord, whatever points to you, Jesus, as we go through maybe hardship we didn't even know we were praying for because it's giving us a platform that's bigger than we've ever had to show who you are. God, I pray that we would be faithful to your vision and the opportunities you've given us that we could carry the miracle well and we could carry your glory in jars of clay. God, I pray for that person in our circle God, that's, uh, that's just glorifying themselves in idolatry. God, give us the way to point them to you, Jesus. God, I pray for that person in our circle that's just cut off from you and feels like they don't need church and they, they don't need to serve and they don't need to join in worship because they've been hurt. God, let us be healers this year, Jesus. Let us reconnect people 
with you, God, that they would know they can't sit on the sidelines anymore. God's glory is too great. He wants to do too much through them. Help us, Jesus. Let us be a great reflection of your glory this year as it moves through Baltimore. We love you, Lord, and God, receive our worship and praise like incense. Let it rise before you deeper and stronger every day, Jesus. In your name we pray, amen.